listening to the Velocity Podcast with host Craig Caperso and Holden McCray. Our goal is simple. Increase the speed at which you succeed. Let's go. All right, in this episode, guys, we're going to talk a little bit about the media bias, the propaganda machine, what happens at the education centers, whether it be college or as you're growing up, and, uh, you know, what's going on with racism, cancel culture, and just the narrative that's being pushed on us right now. Are we in a hotbed of uncertainty? Is it being pushed on us by one single side? Is it really going on? Are there systemic issues here, or are there other things pushing the agenda? So get ready for a loaded episode. Prepare to get triggered. Hey guys, this is Craig and Holden here on Velocity, and we just having a conversation right, right before we kick this thing off. And, you know, I, I had to ask him, which is the craziest thing, because no other point in time would I've probably had to ask this, but since there's a, a thing called being canceled, cancel culture, which is going on right now, I just had to ask him, I was like, hey, with the th- current things that you got going on in your life, um, you know, if we have a conversation that may just be a conversation maybe and that doesn't share anything derogatory um you know are you going to be affected by it and um you know basically he was like no i'm ready to speak my mind and i always want to speak my mind so i had to ask him that question yeah and how does it work how does it work you know, in your business right now right with uh, do you have to be extra careful with what you say I mean, we always want to be, we, since we work with clients, we always want to be cognizant of who they are, where they're coming from, what their challenges are, get to know them better. But do you, are you having to be extra cautious now about how you use words in your business? I am. And it's, and it's the crazy thing is I do a few things, right? So I have... Um, you know, let's, let's start at the bottom. The last one is this podcast, uh, the last one that we've, we've introduced to the world. And so, you know, this is a place where I, I started it for multiple reasons. I wanted Holden to join me on the science side and I'm, I'm just enjoying dialoguing with him and, you know, to call him a co-host here. And, you know, I do a lot of solo stuff on the podcast too, to just speak my mind and do my interviews, but Holden's going to be my guy that's going to be there. And we have these conversations and I like that he's got some age on me and that he's got some experience and wisdom that we could kind of have these conversations with, but this was kind of like my place to like actually get my mental out a little bit because I needed that right now. And I can just tell you, this is where this conversation is going to go a little bit is like my psyche and and yours too. I'd like to get into that. But as far as like my fitness business, Craig Caperso, the online trainer and, you know, the, the fitness plans that I host on either velocity or the wall street stuff that I do, that's a fitness program, a funnel that we're running. Um, I'm not so much worried about that because it's so new. I'm not making so many dollars from that standpoint right now. So if it got affected, I wouldn't see it drastically right now from the numbers that I'm not receiving. I guess that we're starting our funnel and, and, you know, building that up. So I say that has gone up and down based on like my other priorities with Metron, where we got introduced to each other and what my other business is. So when you ask me the question, I would say essentially more has to do with Rockbox fitness, where I'm actually the owner of a, of a club. Um, I have a staff and I have people that look up to me and I want to be a leader, but at the same point, like now you got to be very conscious of the chance of offending somebody. And, you know, like I was, I think I was leading up to is that like, Black people, African-Americans right now in this country, and I'm sure everywhere, um, are holding on to a lot of the resentment, what it sounds like to me. Like, I had no clue that they were this hurt, 
from what I'm seeing that's being unsurfaced right now. And folks like me who had grown up with lots of sports and, you know, in playing football, and that's a predominantly, you know, mixed uh, field, right? There's white people, there's black people, there's um, Asians, there's uh, Mexicans, there's Puerto Ricans, there's all types in that. And it's a big, diverse group. We just see each other as teammates and we just see each other as friends and we lifting partners and going out, (laughs) you know? So yeah, I see them as an African-American, a black guy. I can see the color of his skin. I'm not going to take away what God gave them, right? Which is so stupid when people don't say that because there's beauty in every, all of us. But I just saw them for another guy, another dude who was just a friend. And nowhere did I think I was offending somebody or hurting somebody or doing anything. But it's like now it's like you got to be careful because this person has this like resentment that their ancestors at some point were, um, you know, a slave. And if that's true or not, I'm not sure. Um, but then that grew up with them. And then, and then now there's this notion that they're being unjust targeted. But when I sit back and I look at it, I'm like, okay, so I don't have those biases then other people probably don't have those biases either. And then these police that are being targeted are probably just, you know, bad characters, like there's bad characters in every business. And so, um, you know, you're seeing this bad character being blown up on this big scale and being the scapegoat for this whole mass, the police, the blue. And, you know, now all of them are racist that, you know, even the black guys on the police force are racist at this point. Um, so it's just a crazy concept. And I'm just like, I'm just trying to deal with life and and it's hard as it is. And you got COVID out there now too. It's like, man, it's just like the punches we're getting beat up right now in, in this time of life, like more so than any other time. I feel like, you know, as far as like just general Americans are just under fire. Even the country America is under fire right now. Like it's just cool to be un American, which blows my mind saying it loud right now. I am proud to be an American. I will rock the flag. It's in my bios. I am a proud American. It's uh, it's definitely the best country in the world. I mean, I think one of the wonderful things about coming from another country to this country, or even people who are born and raised in this country who travel out of the country, whether it's to Mexico or Central America, South America, into Europe and see other cultures is that you recognize when you do that, if you're an American, that this is the best place in the world. There's a reason why people like me many years ago and so many more prior to that and since then worked as much as they could or had the strong desire to come to the US, right? Right. It's still ongoing and it's because it's the best country in the world. And I loved what you said earlier on, when you would go out with these guys you played football with, Latino, Puerto Rican, Asian, white, skinned, Mm. but probably Italian, Greek, you know, Scott, English, it didn't really matter what you looked like, right? We all look different. We have different skin color. Our hair looks different. We dress differently. We live in different places. We drive different cars. But what you saw was the football player, your buddy. And I think we've lost that as a culture. We've lost that not only in America, but around the world. We don't see the human across from us anymore. We don't see that person created in the image of God anymore. You know, we focus on the superficial.
Well, that that I, I yeah. agree with you on that. I think the mainstream right media, now, the MSM, is it that um, we don't is, see it, or uh, we were conditioned so by the media, which is driving me up a wall right, right now? now. Whether it's um, identity politics, racial um, politics, social, gender this, uh, gender that, that you use, Catholic, not Catholic, um, Christian, not Catholic. You know, like you is that what it is? Is it the conditioning of the media that's basically that creating propaganda for us to just now breathe in? Those of us who tend to look at things rationally and logically and from an educated standpoint, because we're trying to find out what is actually going on, um, your voice is really a tiny voice right now if you're one of those people. The big voice, the big voice right now is what the media is propagating, what the media is pushing, and it's a false narrative. It's a very one-sided narrative when we're not getting to hear the other narratives that are out there. Yeah. Did you hear recently um, Nadler? He's uh, one of the Democratic leaders and he's oh, got a big Nadler. voice. Nadler. Nadler. Right. Okay. Yeah. And um, he's like denying that there's this like issue going on, this like riot. Like it's just peaceful protests. Like across the board, you just hear, you know, these uh, news stations just reporting peaceful protests are here peaceful protests look at these moms they're showing up with the blmm shirts on peaceful protests but then switch gears go a couple hours get get after dark it's like you know when you used to go to the club you'd always see the bad girls the ones that that leave at the end of the night you know they're still there at the end of the night right um they're searching for something that's not just fun right um so it's the same deal. It's the bad characters are going to be the ones that wait out the normal people that just go home when things are safe. And then, you know, this destruction is going on. They're lighting things on fire. They're breaking things. When was this ever okay? In the, in the constitution, it says peaceful protests. We're not seeing that across the board, but yet the news stations, they're switching it. Like, it's like they got blind eye to it and they're not calling it out. Like, why are they not addressing to say, Hey, that's a protest gone wrong. These these characters, whether they're paid protesters or whether they're opportunists or the, whether they have an agenda and activists, why are they not condemning it just like the normal folks that see it for what it is? Um, are we just zeroing in on maybe just a, a flash in a pan of, you know, a hundred protests and we're only seeing two of them because they're on me social media? Or is this the, the, the normal scene that's going on all over the board? Like, you know, and, and I say this, and I'm going to give you a chance to respond because I was driving around my town and we had a protest and there was a little bit of incident, but a very, on a small scale, we're, we're a small town. There shouldn't be so much going on. We're very, you know, it's a good town, Murfreesboro. And essentially it was so small. And I'm like sitting here, I'm saying like, like if I didn't watch the news, 
I would have no problem with life. Like I wouldn't know what's going on. I wouldn't have this, this, this crazy thing that keeps me up at night thinking or ruining my workouts, which we're going to get into in a minute with the stress that's going on about the country, where we're going and the politics and all this stuff. If I didn't watch the news, my life's gravy. What do you think? Yeah, I'd agree with you on that. I turned the news off back in April. I watched a little bit um, soon after the lockdown started in March. And to me, you know, I'm a scientist and, and, and in science, you're supposed to look at all points of view. You know, so if I'm looking at exercise biochemistry, if I'm looking at carbohydrate metabolism, I need to be able to evaluate different viewpoints related to that metabolism. Let's say it's related to endurance exercise. Is it important? Why is it important? How can you manipulate it? And there will be different approaches from different scientific groups to address those questions. But what I saw, and this is back in April already, this whole narrative around COVID-19 being similar to this the, you know, the Spanish flu of, nine, of 1918 that would take everyone out, right? That was quite destructive. Right. And there was no alternative narrative. You know, the only narrative was we're locking you down, we're putting you under house arrest, we're putting you under curfews, we're telling you which businesses are essential, which are not essential. Essentially, we were in a police state, right? A place where... People no longer had the freedom of choice they had um, prior to you know, mid-March. And that's the only narrative that was in the media. Sounds a little like communism, no? I mean, it's yeah, actually- absolutely. There was no other narrative. And to me, that's astounding. You know, there's no other narrative than that particular narrative to address a respiratory virus where over 99% of people who contract it recover from it and can move on with their lives? I mean, how did we even get to this place? So to me, there's some undercurrent, there's something else going on because every single country in the world with a few exceptions, such as Sweden, Japan, and I think South Korea did not respond in that fashion. They did not go into this full lockdown curfew, restricting, shutting businesses down and so on. And now you'll see the narrative, oh, well, Sweden was just absolutely horrible. So if you look at the media narratives now, Sweden was terrible compared to other countries in Europe, including their Scandinavian neighbors. Yet, if you look at their data and if you look at how much their economy contracted, first of all, their data show they did exactly what you should have done with any respiratory virus, except they didn't protect the most at risk as well as they should have, which is the elderly population with comorbidities. Right. And the economy is only contracted 3%. Right. Whereas the right. US economy, if I remember correctly from the figures today, we've contracted 32%. It's <laughs> never happened before. The, the previous worst that we ever did, I think, was in the 1950s, and it was a 10% contraction. Oh my God. So it's astounding to me that the narrative we see, you know, this back to your original point, we have this one narrative that the, the media pushes and there's no alternative narrative. And that narrative is saying America's burning, everything's falling apart, America is bad. 
If you're a white person, you bad. If you say certain things, you bad, you should be canceled. And it's back to your original point. And so who are these people saying that? And yeah. why is there no one else hammering away at them and saying, this is not the narrative we need to be hearing in the country at this time. Right. It's united across the board. And I think it has to do with like, you know, this isn't the first time that we saw this uh, media barrage of a specific issue. You know, it started with Trump. You know, let's just face it. Like all the good that he's, I think, doing in the country as far as like challenging the status quo and all the things that he's done as far as opening up borders and trade and things of that nature, which by general purposes, if this guy's name wasn't Trump and they didn't hate him out the gate and try to get him impeached right off the, st the start, most folks would look at that and say, hey, those are great numbers. That's going to be hard to beat come re-election time. But there was a different campaign and that started way before COVID-19. But, you know, before that happened, right? So we see that the media is like making this they're weaponizing the media, right? I think, I think this is the best way to say it. They're weaponizing the media as far as whether you're a politician, you can be manipulated. And I think it's always been, I think it's always been a very serious subject that you have to be careful what the media portrays. But I think in the country when, and I was having this conversation with my mom that, you know, no matter who is president, people were usually behind the president. Good, you know, Democratic, Republican, independent, generally after the election, you know, be, you know, the first the year of the election, that's obviously a little controversial, but generally Americans supported, you know, POTUS and they got behind that agenda. And that was just it. We haven't seen that at all. It's been decisive this entire time. And as much as I want Trump in because I don't like any of the other choices at this point in a conservative by nature is, you know, I would say what I would generally rely on as far as what I would identify as at this point or possibly independent. Um, I can't even imagine, you know, what another four years looks like if it's going to be this indecisive again. And is that good? I certainly don't think it should go to the other guys right now because I just can't even see how their cancel culture, their, uh, uh, weaponizing these, uh, the, the media, et cetera, is even going to be in our favor and then shutting down and COVID-19 and this, that, and the other. So like, I'm scared of what is going to happen. I'm, I'm literally, it, it affects me. It affects me. It affects my workouts. It affects the conversations I have with myself, that quiet time. Like I don't have quiet time anymore. My quiet time is usually supposed to be about reflection about how I could better myself and all these other things. Like that meditation zone that I, ha I would have, um, that forecasting of my life and, and these things that I want to accomplish is cluttered right now with all this news. And I need to stop. I need to just take like a detox from the news, but it's like everywhere. And I try to have a presence on social media so I can, you know, allow this show to go out and to, you know, stay tuned with the people that are currently enrolled in my fitness programming and just be a part of that. But it's just like, it catches me. It's like a drug. It's like this adrenaline that I can't stay away from. And then I get sucked in at hours of watching it. It's, ugh. And, and that's what they want, right? They want you to be sucked in. It's like, what do they call it? Panic porn, right? They have this thing that you just addicted to and that you cannot stop watching or listening to or being engaged with. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think, you know, there's this, we're going to have a series on habits, right? How yeah. do you form great habits? How do you build them? You know, what should those habits look like to lead a long, healthy life, a fit life? And, um, you know, maybe that's the first step 
for, we had this saying in South Africa, because we had this very same issue going on in South Africa with uh, apartheid, with the separation of races. And beginning in the mid 70s, we started having rioting in the streets and government buildings being burned down, bombs on buses, on trains, in public places, fighting a war on our northern borders. It was absolute chaos and misery for the whole country for more than a decade. It went on and on and on. Wow. And and censorship in the media, which we're seeing now, right? Censorship on YouTube, censorship on Facebook. Yeah. You know, the, the newspapers are only publishing a certain directed point of view that fits their narrative. It's no longer reporting anymore. It's really, um, I would say, putting your opinions on the page, but we're all saying the same thing. We're living in an echo chamber. We're just saying the same thing, but in a different way with different people. Yep. Um, so we had censorship and the only way to get out of it, there were two ways to get out of it. One was just to turn it off. You know, we had this saying in Afrikaans called set it off, which means turn the TV off. Don't read the news. Of course, back then there was no Twitter, Facebook, you know, Discord and so on. You know, you didn't have these social media channels, uh, Twitch and so on that you could follow. I mean, esports now, so I'm kind of looking at that other stuff. Yeah. But um, yeah. And that's one way that would be a great habit to get out of it because it is distressing. It is very distressing if that is all you caught up in. And it's not the right narrative. It's the narrative brought to you by a very small percentage of the population. Yeah. You predominantly live in New York City, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. You know, that's where it's coming from. It's a narrative out of a urban population in a small part of the country. And that's not the average American. The average American, I'm confident, can see through the veneer that these people are trying to paint. They can see through the narrow-mindedness of these media moguls and publishers. And I think it's going to come back and bite them. You know, I think this is a Elect, it is an election year, I believe November 3rd's election day, and I'm, I am i won't make a prediction right now um, <laughs> through this microphone, but I think they're going to get an even bigger surprise than they got four years ago I like it. in November because well, I think the average American, including the ones who live in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, um, can see through this nonsense. And that is not the America we knew at the beginning of March this year. The America we knew at the beginning of March this year was moving in the right direction. Yes, not perfectly. It's mm -hmm. not, no country's perfect, but we had very low unemployment. People were working, kids were going to school. There was opportunity for kids who were in college, colleges were thriving. I mean, we can go back and look at what was going on and it's all gone now yeah. for a lot of people, right? It's been destroyed. So tell me why that was bad. You made the comment that we've had, you know, a little over three years of really good things happening in this country. Right. And 
pulling in the same direction. Yes, with disagreements, because there's always going to be disagreement. But to me right now, one of the other issues is there's not opportunity for civil discourse, you know, to sit across from the table from someone who you don't agree with and you're able to present your point of view, I present mine, and we may not agree on things, but we're going to do it civilly without just slinging mud at each other or firing, you know, barbed arrows with flames on them at each other and canceling that person, no longer speaking to them. We no, we no longer have that. Do you ever listen to um, some of the Senate trials or the House or, or these like the, the Congress when they're having their debates and they're having their conversations and it's like, oh, it's my time. I yield my time. Do you ever watch that stuff? Do you, it's like it's so annoying to watch because somebody will ask a question to somebody in the moment that the person steers clear of or, or is winning an argument. I yield my time. I yield my time. A.G. Barr um, was just uh, being, uh, I, I don't know exactly what, which house he's on or, or what, what, you know, where he's at being interviewed, but um, he was just on. And I saw a clip where he, like 15 people were just like, what is this? And then he goes to answer and literally probably within five seconds of his answer, I yield my time. And then he's trying to answer and it's just like this conversation back and forth. And it's so <laughs> they they have these tools in their questioning that allows them to like continue to pepper, even though it's a question. It's yeah. just it just doesn't make so a whole lot. So why do we even why do we even pay these people to represent us? Oh why God. do we even elect them? Well, my next topic is term limits. Well, I had this conversation. You weren't on there, but like, why doesn't Congress have term limits? You got these forty to fifty year politicians in office. And the second thing is like, I was, I was just thinking about like, if I was in office or if I had the position of like starting to make change, what would that look like? Because it's easy to just have a microphone and talk crap, right? But let's talk about real change. Does it start at the president level? Does it start at the, you know, the local level? I think we saw this year that the local level has so much more power than we ever thought. Oh yeah. We, I thought personally the president was like the man and he had all this authority and he could just drop it. It's not. It's the house, it's the senate, it's the local governors, it's the mayors. Like they all have their roles at this point and what I saw is that these local people, the state level officials, you know, the people here making decisions, they're the ones who really have the power and they've they've just been going along for a real long time. But you want real change, that's where it starts. You think yeah, the president's going to make the change? It's local. No, no, he's and he shouldn't be. You know, he doesn't live in Murfreesboro, um, Tennessee, or Crested Butte, Colorado. That's not his job. His job is, you know, really beyond that. Um, right. I think as citizens, we need to become a lot more involved in what's going on in our local communities, and we've kind of haven't. We've kind of let it run on its own. Um, we having we have now two independent people running for county commissioner in our county because all, of all the nonsense that has happened since March. So they're on the ballot now, and hopefully we're going to kick some of these commissioners off right. who have not done what they're being paid for, which is doing what is best for the the, the community that we live in. Mm-hmm. You know, for them, it's politics and they hands off. They have not held the uh, county health officials accountable for the decisions they've made and so on. And so I hope they lose their jobs in November and I hope we get real change that happens, you know, change for good. 
So I'm still a bit of an optimist, Craig. I get wound up with this stuff just like you, maybe not to the same extent, but I'm optimistic about the American people. I still believe that the average American loves this country, loves what it stands for, is a helpful person, wants to see the best for their communities, the best for their fellow Americans, their families, that they have faith that it will happen if they stay connected to those communities. And um, so I have faith in that. You know, I'm, I'm optimistic about that part. And I'm also optimistic that through what we've seen since March, we're going to get change in a good way. There's going to be good things that come out of all this disruption that we've experienced. Now, clearly, a lot of people are going to be hurt and perhaps will be hurting for a long time. Yeah. No doubt about that. Um, it's one thing to shut down your country. It's a whole other thing to try and restart a massive economy like we have right. and to get people back to work. So well, I think, yeah, I think, I think you bring up a great point. I'm glad you're staying positive for the two of us right now. I guess I'm on the ship. I'm in the middle. Uh, so, so one of us in this show needs to be a positive source for everybody, but uh, there's some positives, like you said, right? Like I think we see this America first agenda that Trump was pushing for a long time is real now. And it's like, okay, maybe we can't get our sources over in China anymore, or maybe we can't, you know, go to Mexico or these other places for these, you know, very cheap, uh, labor that, you know, is being produced and that maybe we don't have to pay our Americans a fair wage and that we're going to maybe pay a little bit more for our products, but yet we have them, we'll inventory them and we can control ourselves and police our own borders. Um, the border rule now 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 that's pretty important right you know closing yeah. down the borders and making sure that people come into this country that should be coming into this country that's a little bit more important now today you know with everything going on with you know the zombie apocalypse that that's among us with this covid and everything that's going on it's it's just amazing some of these things that have been a a, a part of his uh campaign coming to life in a, in a weird weird way and uh yet people won't even acknowledge that on the other side yeah well, you and I both played sport and we played competitive sport. And, you know, there was this saying, and I don't know who it was attributed to, but the saying that, you know, if you play a sport, if you play a hard sport, particularly if you play a contact or collision sport, that um, that sport builds character. But I think the better saying is that it reveals the character of those who play it. Right. And I think what we're seeing through all this stuff that's driving us absolutely nuts, right? For me, from the science standpoint, for you, and I too get wound up in the political. I'll admit that flat out, just as you do. But I think what it's doing is not building character, it's revealing the character of the people who are in the public eye right now. Right. And what we're seeing, or at least what I'm seeing, is very ugly. It's an ugly character. It's a dirty character. And it's a character that I don't think is exhibiting right now any of the leadership qualities that we as citizens expect of our leadership. And so that character is being revealed right now. And I'm hoping. I'm hoping that those people are going to be held accountable by the American people 
because of that character reveal that's happened. Yeah, I hope so too. I like to think, you know, that the character is being revealed as well. And I really like to think that we're going to see some great change. And, you know, with, you know, what they say with adversity comes change. And usually it's, it's optimally, you know, in human history, it's been for the better, right? You know, when we've under undergone duress in some way, shape or form, a stronger character or trait or gene has been built up in, in, it took the dominant role, right? So maybe that's what we're going to see. We're going to see a shakeup of the week right now and people revealing, like you say, their character and the strong is going to shake them out. And, you know, this, uh, this rioting and this other stuff is going to, it's going to lose its steam at some point. I know it's in the news and I know it's currently going on and could be certainly fueled by the politics and, and being played by the, the propaganda and the media that's trying to push this agenda because we're rolling on November. What do you think happens in December? Is it just a big stop to all this? Is it a, is it a big, um, is it a big change? Like, what do you think is going to happen in December now that we get a, a president let's assume it might be Trump. Let's, let's look at it two ways. Let's say what's a Trump presidency look like, you know, in, in 2021. Oh, well, I would be hopeful that, uh, we would be a country united again in what it means to be American, irrespective of where we came from, what our skin color is, what our economic status or social status is. I mean, that's what America is, right? It doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, what you look like, what you own, what you don't own. Um, there's opportunity in this land and it's a land of opportunity and it's a land that can give you a lot and you have a lot to give this land as well. I mean, part of what we hopefully live our lives for is to leave a legacy behind for our children or our friends' children if we don't have our own children and so on. And so that that's part of our responsibility as citizens. So I'm hopeful that when we get to December, when we get to celebrate the birth of Christ and the beginning of um, 2021, that um, that's where we'll be. You know, we'll be a united country moving forward. Um, and not this country that is just broken apart right now by in, in so many different pieces. Amen. What do you think happens if the Democrats win say that's Biden? Um, what do you think that looks like? You know, with, with how far left that politics uh, have gone, like what, what well, do you think is the first thing that changes? Well, I mean, yeah. I think, you know, anyone who's a career politician, you brought this up earlier, right? Someone who's only done politics has never done anything else. And, um, you know, I know nothing about Joe Biden at all, other than the fact that he's a career politician. And um, I'm along the lines of what you are. I mean, how do you, how do you grow a business? How do you build a business? Um, how do you identify um, how do you make your business sustainable over time? And you need new blood, right? You need people coming in with new ideas, with new mm -hmm. approaches, who are creative, who are going to drive change within the company and build it, right, from the inside out. Yeah. And my feeling is with these career politicians, they're in it. They maybe went into politics uh, with good intentions, but I think they get corrupted by the system. And when you're in it for that long, yeah, I don't think you're effective anymore. So my my take would be it would be very unfortunate if he were elected. 
Yeah, very unfortunate because you have a career politician who's never done anything else in his life, and that is not a good place to be. I don't think that bodes well for America in the in the beginning of the next decade, which is twenty twenty one onwards. I mean, yeah. I just think you're going to stagnate or you're going to go backwards. Yeah, it's my head just goes crazy with it too, because I was listening to, and again, here I am watching some other propaganda probably being thrown at me in somebody's agenda, some way, shape, form. But I was listening to a woman, I think she was Ukrainian, talking about like their whole issue that they had, brought, brought it up and said, hey, America, wake up. This is what we went through. This is what you need to be careful of. But she brought up one thing too that I thought of like, the world that relies on America. We have a lot of money going out the door to other places for, for aid and because we've been so prosperous. And yeah, we are a very generous country, not only with our money. Yeah. It's not just America's problem anymore. Now it's global. You know, yeah. who's watching China do these things and who's sticking up for this, that, and the other? Like, you know, we're the watchdog somehow, some way. We've, we've got into that role. And yeah, the UN's there, but I mean, whatever, you know, yeah, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. the world health organization, that's been a thing yeah. now, but we've kind of, yeah. we've combated that a little bit this year. So pulled out some yeah. funding there. And yeah. I think it's good that we pull some funding back from these countries that aren't also giving in return, you know? So I think some positives like we've seen this year, you know, had played out, you know, there's some things that we saw, Hey, we're giving all this money out. What are we doing? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. We need to give the resources to our own people. We need to bring businesses back into this country. And yeah, I'm as an American, I'm willing to pay more. Mm -hmm. you know, if it costs more money to produce a product in this country and it pays people a living wage, a wage that they can live on and save on and hopefully, you know, be a homeowner one day down the road, send their kids to good schools. You know, if those kids are really good in school, perhaps they go on to university. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really what you, you want to have happen. If, and if I have to pay more for products because we're bringing those businesses back into the U S then I'm all for that. You know, I'd rather buy American than buy anything else. Yeah, have a little American pride, right? And the products that we used to have, that was a thing before, um, you know, when we we're going through some of these, you know, conflicts around the globe. One thing you mentioned I want to bring up before I switch gears on us is, um, you know, is you were saying like a, a presidency under Biden and, you know, the business owner, you know, let's take a look at the business owner in these liberal cities right now that are being overrun by riots. You're in Portland, you're in Chicago, you're in Seattle with the autonomous zone, Chaz or chop, whatever you want to call it. I own a house there or own a business there. Like you're not being protected anymore. You're paying taxes to these, this, uh, you know, the municipality for these things and these protections that you would just assume are your, your given right being an American citizen and you have no more protection. And then you, now your real estate has must plummeted. Like your business is now half of what it was from a residential standpoint, because if no one wants to live there, people are moving out of California, moving out of these cities and moving into places where they could control a little bit more of their destiny. So like, I don't know. Uh, it's just, it's just challenging for me now as a business owner owning, you know, I don't own the property, but I own the, you know, the lease on the property that I'm into right now. And, um, yeah. I'm questioning where do I want to put it now? Where do I think a conservative or a more reasonably independent thinking, um, you know, let's call it, uh, you know, run city 
is going to be there, who's going to step up to rioters and who's going to police and, and not abandon my police department and give me the security that I need to have my business still stand and not have my windows bust in, you know, just a freaking amazing to me. Like that this is even a thing and that people are even defending that rioters are out there able to just spread their hate and spew their, you know, uh, physical damage to all these properties with they're mad, they're upset. That's called counseling. Go get help. Like, don't beat up someone else's business that's not yours. You know? Yeah, well, uh, I think we may have talked about this on an episode many weeks ago, but, you know, for, and I think this is true around the world, is um, that for any country to survive as a country and for people to be able to make a living within that country and to be safe within that country, one of the first requirements is a rule of law, right? Right. And if you don't no longer have rule of law, then businesses are going to fail. Um, you have so much corruption that occurs when you don't have rule of law that then you start having extortion happening. Um, you get what we're seeing right now in some of these cities where you just have law and order breaking down. People are no longer safe. They have to leave. They lose pretty much everything that they've put into those businesses. And we're just talking about the business now. We're not talking about the disruption that happens with families, with kids, um, with, with social connections. Uh, there's a whole host of things that happen as a consequence of the loss of the rule of law. And these mayors in these cities are not doing their job. It is their job to stand up and saying, say, this is unacceptable you are breaking the law and there are consequences when you break the law. I mean, if you or I went out right now, we wouldn't even think of it, hopefully. But if we went out and started throwing Molotov cocktails at our county courthouse, you know, trying to take the courthouse down and so on, we wouldn't do it. But if we did do it, we would hopefully be arrested for it and held accountable for our actions. Right. And That's we're not seeing saying. that right now. We're not seeing that. And then, I mean, you can get me off on the teachers' unions as well if you want. But, you know, one of the things, one of the saddest things that has happened with this COVID-19 issue is that our kids got taken out of their schools. We required parents to homeschool their kids, essentially, if they could. And now the teachers are saying, well, we, we don't feel safe going back to school. Right. What the hell is that? That is just absolutely ridiculous. The Canadian schools are going back to school, all of them in every state in Canada. The European schools are all back in school and they plan to continue that. Is COVID-19 different in America, in North America, in the United States of America to what it is in those other countries? Why are kids not back in school and why are they not going back to school? I heard the stat that there has not been a single, zero, a single case where a kid has transmitted COVID-19 to a family member or somewhere or somewhere else. So, um, and that's universal. That's, that's global right now. That's the global stat. So, um, I just heard it. I, I, you know, it's probably a specific stat that they're bringing up, but from my understanding of it, there has been no confirmed case of a child passing off COVID-19 to a teacher, to a, a fellow parent, 
family member, etc. So, you know, they're, it's just a hysteria. Which is why those other countries are going back to school right. and why they have gone back to school because the evidence is not there. So why am I paying my property taxes on my property? Mm-hmm. Because part of my property taxes goes to support the local schools where I live. Right. Why should I pay that if you're not going to go teach my kid? Yeah. How about your, no, you're in the school system. You're a Pepperdine professor. Um, I know there's a, there's a limited, it's, that's happening at the end of this is a retirement year for you at this point. And, um, how is, how have you seen politics in the school system? Um, you know, and, um, like where, where, where is your process? Have you seen it go up, go down? Is it more on Trump's watch here in the past? Like bring your, your child, your, your, your educational experience to us as a, as a professor in that, you know, environment. Cause I'm hearing just terrible things about, you know, colleges at this point. And it's like, I now have a daughter and I want to think about bringing her up in life. And it's like, I'm thinking of other ways than the school system, because it's just like, you know, if you don't bring her to the people exactly who you want her to be taught by, there's this agenda that's being driven right now. Some people are going to put their politics, their political views on them. And, you know, teaching the way I grew up doesn't seem like it's, it's the same anymore. Like, can you bring that to light us a little bit from your standpoint? I know it's probably a little different because you're probably a little bit more zeroed in on your craft and, and what you do. Yeah, I would say, so I'm going to try and do it as quickly and briefly as possible because it's actually quite a complex um, topic. Um, And I was fortunate in that I was in the sciences, which were not heavily politicized, right? You know, in science, it's pretty much, for the most part, white or black, and there's some gray in there as well, but it's, it's either or and so on. Um, but yes, and I'm talking specifically now about um, the universities and colleges, you know, the academy, which I call it, um, was somewhat politicized when I was an undergrad student. Um, clearly, doing my undergrad work in South Africa, it was more heavily politicized, but there's always been politics. But we talked about this earlier, you, you had one side and you had the other side and you would have this debate that would happen between the two sides. And, you know, if I disagreed with you, I was not going to hold it against you that you didn't agree with me. We would have this civil debate and discord going on. Um, and now over time, if you don't agree, then as you said, you silenced or you canceled. And this is happening in science now as well. I mean, we can see it even with this COVID-19 scientists who are presenting sound data that is contrary to the narrative that, or the agenda that people in influence are pushing, uh, get shouted down or their information gets suppressed or it gets censored. Right. And so we're not seeing the two sides anymore. So that that is happening not only in science now, but it's been going on in the humanities for a long time, in the social sciences, psychological sciences, mm-hmm. and so on. Um, so yes, unfortunately, the academy has become very politicized. You have speech codes in the academy. You have... Um, a narrative within, I think it's predominantly in the social sciences, a narrative 
that um, is no longer willing to look at where we've come from as humans in history. Um, it's a narrative that's not willing to accept disagreement any longer. And those are the people now over the last decade or a little bit more than a decade who are running the mainstream media, right? Who are right. teaching our kids in elementary school, middle school, and high school, who are becoming university professors, who are becoming people of influence in the business world or in industry. And so we've seen this very large cultural shift now from one in which all viewpoints were presented, mm -hmm. they were examined, they were debated, and then you formed your own opinion from them. You weren't forced into a trench where only one opinion or only one narrative was acceptable. And that's kind of where we are right now. We're in a trench where there's only one acceptable way to do things, which is absolutely wrong in my opinion. We are no longer looking at the big picture. Yeah. And have you felt, um, have you seen that in your school and in, in where you were, you're teaching? Have you seen that? I mean, I know, like we said, you're, you're in a very specific vertical, which is hard for you and you're probably your colleagues in your, your school of business um, or school of sciences rather. Um, but did you see it as the university as a whole? Did you see it coming from your students and things of that matter? Uh, well, again, I dealt primarily with science students, even though we were in a liberal arts, you know, at a liberal arts university. So they're getting exposed to the, the, the other subject areas within that institution. But yeah, there's been a drift. There's been a definite drift. I started teaching at the university in the late 1980s, early 1990s, and there's been a distinct over time drift away from what I would consider the values of what we should be about, which is to be exposed to as many different things as possible within the institution, within the subject areas of different subject areas, be willing to agree and disagree based on what we're reading, hearing, seeing, and um, then, you know, hopefully as an educated person, you arrive at your own conclusions. Right. And, you know, learning for me is something that is continuous. It doesn't end when you're 21, right? It shouldn't. It should continue. It should right. be something that you continue to do over your life. And that requires wide reading, wide listening, sitting down at a table with people over dinner and talking about some of these things and debating them. Um, and that should be an ongoing process. It shouldn't be, I'm spoon feeding you as an 18 year old, 19 year old, 20 and 21 year old, a certain narrative. And that's the only narrative I'm going to give you. And there's nothing else on the table. That doesn't seem to me like a rich and full life or a life that you're going to end up living really well when you're just in that narrow trench. Yeah. My daughter, so we just, we, she just got accepted to um, PCA, a local school here, Pro Providence Christian Academy. And uh, they have a, like a three phase uh, learning cycle where, you know, the first part's like a foundational, you know, base of understanding. There's a second, I forget the second, but the third is like the debate stage where it's like living to have an opinion. And then 
they'll make them take the opposite side of the argument. So just what you said, they're not allowed to have one side. They have to argue both points, which is so cool, I think, which which makes you actually, I think it's a, it's a great exercise for anybody. Like if you're a Democrat, go fight as a Republican so you can actually see their side and fight against a Democrat. And then you might learn something about your own party and same thing. And part of what you mentioned in there is part of where I go down this rabbit hole with media. I don't just watch liberal or uh, excuse me, conservative media. I'll go watch liberal media because I want to actually see what's being said to, you know, the people that have watched these stations. So from time to time, I'll go listen and, uh, and I'll go see what's going on. It's like you said, it's a very one-sided argument. And it's like, I can see very well how people can be conditioned to this response and not really have an opinion because they're just like, they present the information so well. They're doing a great job at what they're trying to do. It's just being done too well without that, you know, bring on a conservative to have an argument or to let someone have two sides, let a debate actually take place and transpire so you can form an opinion. It's not, it's like, it's like 90, 10, 95, five, you know, what you might see. And then if they bring someone on, then it's a shit talking storm for the next, you know, week of what just went on. And could you believe they said that, whether it was a good point or not? Would you, would you like your kid to go to Harvard? I don't know anymore. I really don't know anymore. I, 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 to be honest with you, Holden, I'm, I'm serious when I say that the university for me has lost its allure based on what I'm seeing completely. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't know that, that I don't know that that's going to matter in the future anyway. I don't know that a Harvard, you know, undergrad or, you know, business degree is going to matter in the future anyway with what, how, how things are going on. I think things are going to be judged very differently. So Harvard, I think if I remember the numbers correctly, has 1.5% of the professors at Harvard are considered to be conservative. Wow. 1.5%. Would I want my kid to go to an institution where that is the exposure they're going to get to a different point of view? I don't think so. Yeah. Right? And so hopefully through all this stuff that's going on at the universities right now, yeah. particularly, you know, those of us, well, I don't have young kids anymore, but those of you who do, those yeah. of you who have high schoolers will be looking at the makeup of the faculty right. at the institution and saying, well, you know, what kind of child do I want to raise? Do I want a child that has a very narrow view of the United States and of the world? Or do I want a child that is educated globally? Are they going to have a global perspective of what it means to be an American in the, in, in the uh, 21st century? That's great. I, I, I got to tell you, I don't know. I really don't know if this girl's going to college and, you know, I don't know. Like, it's like my wife and I want to have thinking about having another kid. And, and I truly think it through a little bit further now from a standpoint to say it's challenging enough and it's going to be hard for us to support her and defend what's going on and, you know, just be a good parent to her to not bring another person in. And now I'm going to have to divert my attention to this other person. And it's like, I don't know. It's like, I'm putting my defense up right now a little bit. And it's, it's very challenging as much as we want, you know, another daughter, I think, or another child boy, doesn't matter. I, I think I want a boy. My <laughs> Everyone in this household wants another girl. Cause it's just easy, but, um, I don't care as long as it's healthy. That's where my, where my head's at. But, um, 
I'm challenged with it right now. Literally, I'm saying, this world's so crazy. Do I want to really bring someone into that? I'm going to have someone else I'm going to have to protect. It challenges me in many ways. Less I said from the start of this episode, I'm challenged in so many different ways emotionally right now that the yeah. world has made me think twice about a lot of different things. Yeah. So we should have a, we should have a, you know, on one of the next episodes, we, we should um, maybe have an episode on what do you believe in? You know, what do you believe? Right. You know, what, what anchors you, what, 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 what gives you that anchor you need? You know, what rock can you stand on Um, in times like these that are really troubled and disturbed and are uncertain and, you know, our children are in this state of uncertainty. I mean, as kids, we didn't have to think about wearing a mask or, you know, whether we'd ever be able to see our friends again, our school friends, or go right. play with our buddies in the park, or, you know, you weren't restricted. Oh, well, you're not allowed out of the house. And if you do go out of the house, by the way, you're going to have to only behave in a certain way, right? As kids, we were allowed to run free, be mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. And so I think, yeah, that might be a good future topic is to ask that question. Well, what do you believe? You know, what, what holds, what's the anchor in your life? What's that rock that you can stand on in these times of uncertainty? Because I think it's a question everyone needs to ask themselves. I mean, both you and I know what our rock is, you know, what we stand on. Yeah. But I think, um, you know, how do you make that decision? I think it's a great, that's a what great that topic. Is. I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to put some good thought into that and we'll probably try to come back to that when you're hearing this, mm-hmm. I'll make sure that we put that in the next week or so episode kind of conversations and, um, Holden, it was a pleasure on this one. We're going to, we're going to end this one for you folks. If you like what you're hearing from us, if, uh, you know, you have a question for us, feel free to come on the website, send us information there, or just uh, rank us on uh, whatever podcast system that you're listening to us. And we always appreciate, you know, five stars that helps us get ranked possibly and more listeners to see that we're credible and we can do our thing. But if you don't like us, Hey, I'm okay. I'm an opportunist to say, go ahead and say what you got to say. Uh, I'll never, you know, I'm not out there just begging people for anything. If you're getting something out of the show, you know, feel free to tune in again and subscribe so you can hear some more out of us and you can hear an array of topics. Um, you know, as much as Holden and I started this thing with the idea of fitness is going to be at the fortitude and what we do. Um, life's pretty wild right now. And I want to bring that up because I think it does affect us. And I think it also helps understand that, you know, fitness is affected by so many different things and emotional and cognitively and what we're dealing with the stresses in the environment. Um, these all play a factor and, and fitness can no longer be singled out as just your physical acumen or your performance. There's a lot of other things that go into that. And we definitely want to sit down and have some leaders in on this conversation about, you know, uh, maybe mental performance and different things that are being affected by outliers in their in their what they're currently going on and um you know i'm excited to see what this podcast can grow into and you know holden's a stud he's a positive guy in this this tumultuous time and um he he sounds like he has a a beautiful marriage and i know that we're gonna get the wives on here at some point and we're gonna we're gonna have that conversation so i look forward to that and uh you know until next time guys make sure you uh be well stay safe and catch you later